But we are continuing, and today we're talking about parenting. And I'm going to tell you what show we're talking about, and we're basing that off of in just a little bit. But here's something that I saw on Facebook the other day. I, I've told you before, I love memes, and I love when people share those things. But somebody put, uh, posted one the other day, and here's what it said. Um, their, their meme said, I will not raise an iPad child. And I did what y'all did. I said, <laughs> cute. <laughs> Yeah, miss, I don't have no children yet, you know. <laughs> um, I know that we don't want our kids to always be on devices, and we know we've seen that when kids are always on devices, that's got a negative effect. But don't you go talking about, I will not raise an iPad child. <laughs> Whatever, you haven't had children yet. You have not had children yet. I was not raised on iPads, but praise the Lord Jesus, we got them now. Because it, it makes things calm and quiet for a few moments here and there. But don't go ahead before you've got these things, uh, these children, and, and Talk about all these things you got to do. Um, I also saw another meme on Facebook that I thought was very fitting, and I can relate to this. It said, I hope my child's attitude and sass leads them to be a CEO and not the leader of a prison gang. Can anybody relate to that? You know, you know I hope my child's uh, attitude and sass makes them be a CEO and not the leader of a prison gang. And then this is something I've said many times before. But before I had children, I had a lot of parenting theories. Now I have lots of children and no theories. I mean, that's the honest gospel truth. I'm winging it as best I can and usually not all that great. You know, it's like you try to learn. And if, if you're a parent or you're in the midst of it or if you've already been there, done that, it's hard, isn't it? It is hard. It is like living with a walking video and audio recorder of your worst moments. Because they will act like holy terrors, but then the moment that you do something, they'll wait two weeks and they'll play it right back for you, won't they? Well, you said, and they, you know, they tell you what you did. Well, you did it, and oh, it's like, woo, okay, all right, we're going to do this game, okay? And so we always talk about love does not keep a record of wrongs, but you little kids, y'all keep a lot of records, you know? I'm storing mine away. I'm not perfect, you know? Y'all can tell this is sensitive to my heart, right? This is, this is legitimately on my heart. But I know that if you're a parent, you know it's, a, it's one of the greatest joys of your life. But it's also one of the heaviest burdens as in terms of responsibility. Not a burden in a bad sense. But it's burdened in the terms of responsibility of you are trying to shape and mold these lives to become responsible adults that contribute to society. And for Christians, it's a whole nother level, right? Of you want them to be in heaven forever. And hopefully you want them to bring as many people as possible to heaven with them. And so that responsibility can be heavy. And so today, the show that I wanted to use to sort of use as their jumping off point when we're talking about this type of relationship is a little show that started off every week just like this. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on a playground, that's where I spent most of my days, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, and shooting some b-ball outside of the school. When a couple of guys, they were up to no good, started making trouble in the neighborhood. I got in one little fight, my mom got scared. She said, you move with your auntie and not go to Bel Air. All right, I'm out of breath and I might mess up the last part. So anyway, we'll stop there. What show is that? The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that was a show that I absolutely loved when I was, was growing up. 
It, it was just, uh, it was just so. Will Smith, I love that guy. He just seems like he's such a really good actor. And I was telling my kids, I was like, I know he's an actor, and you know, by trade, you're you're supposed to be, you know, somebody that you're not. But I'm like, I think he's a guy that I would just want to hang out with. You know, he just seems like such a a nice, you know, genuine guy. I'm getting emotional about Will Smith, y'all. I ain't care. Y'all think I'm fake. I'm serious because I know where I'm going with this. I know where I'm going with this. Trust me, you'll see why. I'm not just that messed up. But Luke chapter 2, verse 52, is the real jumping off point for this message. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This passage of scripture is the theme verse for our Movement Kids group here at Movement Church. You know, we've got a lot of children and we've got, we're, our goal is to try to raise them in the Lord here at Movement Church as a church family. And so that's our verse that we use is that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And when we read this verse and we think about Jesus, we think about him as a young boy. And this is what it's talking about. It talks about his younger years as he grows up. We hear this and it's like, man, that's what I want for my kids. And that's why we chose it as a theme verse for movement kids is I want my child or I want the children that I have an influence over that are, you know, in our church family. I want them to grow in, in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Man, that's what I want. But as I said, as a parent, if you're a parent... You feel completely helpless and hopeless sometimes, don't you? Because you know the kind of mistakes that you make. You know the mistakes you made in your past. You know what kind of child you were. And you get reminded of that every day when you see these flaws in your kids. Like, why can't my children have any of my good stuff? <laughs> you know, they got my attitude. You know, why do they got that? And you feel overwhelmed. But I want to remind you of something. Yes, this passage in Luke 2.52 is talking about Jesus, and he was fully God and fully man. He was fully young man, if you will, at that point. But this passage of Scripture, this verse of Scripture, comes, guess when, in the context of the story of the Gospels. It comes literally just after Jesus' parents had lost him for three days. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for putting that into the scripture, because when I feel like a horrible parent, I can be reminded that at least Mary and Joseph, you know, they lost Jesus for three days. You know, I, you know, being a preacher, you know, our family is a lot of times the last ones to leave church. And there's been a couple of times it's like Sherry and I have looked at each other as we sat in the van to get ready to go. And it's like, well, where's the baby? <laughs> you know, oh, he's still in the building, you know, I mean, or, or whatever, you know, and I know parents that have done that. They've left their kids at church for like an hour before they realize, like, this is relaxing Sunday, isn't it? Man, we're just chilling at the house and, you know, the kids out playing with everybody else at church. And, you know, I got some good friends that did that. We weren't that bad. But if you feel bad, if you feel like you've been a bad parent, remember Jesus' earthly parents left him and lost him. It took three days. Oh, wait, where is he? <laughs> you know, now it's a different culture then. You know, they traveled, they were traveling. It was all sorts of things. So, you know, don't judge them too hardly. But uh, isn't that nice to know that in Scripture it's recorded that the parents of the Son of God messed up too? And Jesus turned out okay, didn't he? 
He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so there was an opportunity. He had to face these temptations. He went through hardships, and he still turned out to be all we needed him to be and more. And so I want to talk about for a few moments this morning these three areas that Jesus grew that we want to as parents to help our kids or as as sort of adopted parents. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But as parents in, in a church family, as adults that want to pour into the lives of young people as well, how can we make sure that children that are in around us and under our care grow well you can describe these three areas in Luke 2 52 as this mentally physically and spiritually mentally physically and spiritually now this first idea of, of mentally it, it comes in it really just sort of hits home with us you know it talks about that he grew in wisdom so he grew in knowledge and in the application of knowledge. And then physically, he grew in stature, it says. He, he literally just grew and got stronger. And then he grew in favor with God. Man, that's spiritually. But I want to pause for one quick second before we go too much further. Here's why I believe that when we talk about spiritually, we include with God and with man. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if you want to have a strong spiritual relationship with you and God, you've got to work on your relationship with people. You've got to work on your relationship with people. And as we go into it and dig into it a little bit deeper, I'll be really honest, we're going to talk about two more than we're going to talk about all three. Because first, I believe that for the most part, we get that physical part pretty well. You know, most of us try to do our best. Now, we don't always make the best choices of what we feed our children. And there again, you know, you might have been one of those parents that before you had kids said, my kids aren't going to eat any junk food, just like Miss iPad, you know, I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, whatever. And some of y'all might be the exception, but that ain't my house. That's not reality at my house. You know, we try to make them eat healthy, but sometimes you're like, here's a microwave chicken nugget. Go ahead, eat it. You know, at least you're getting some sustenance, you know. You will get nutrients from it. But, and so, but we most, for the most part, take care of that physical part pretty well. We take care of it pretty well. So we're going to focus on the other two for a second. First one is mentally. Mentally. How do we help our children grow mentally but even more importantly deeper in understanding of God I want to continue being real for a second most of us do pretty well on the mental as in the learning side I believe if we're being really honest in our culture in our society sometimes we place too much emphasis on what they learn scholastically and we try to act like as long as they have all the book knowledge in the world, we forget about the, the spiritual side of the mental learning and the knowledge and the wisdom. And so I'm not even going to talk so much about how we educate our children in terms of worldly knowledge, which is a good and important thing, and we need to do that. But we're not going to focus on that so much because I think we really do spend a lot of time, maybe even too much on that. So I want to go a little bit deeper into the wisdom side. Depending on which translation you're reading, um, Luke 2.52, it might say knowledge or it might say wisdom. But those things are intertwined and connected because you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have wisdom and you don't know how to apply that knowledge, you're going to be in a mess either way. 
You know, you've heard it said maybe, you know, book smarts versus street smarts. I mean, that's a very simplified version of that. But there, it's, a, it's a similar idea. You want knowledge, but you need to know how to use that knowledge and when to use that knowledge. And so we want to go deeper into wisdom and the application of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we want to have true knowledge, if we want to have true wisdom, then we first have to do, what does it say? Fear the Lord. If we want our kids to truly have knowledge, to truly have the full depth of wisdom that we can let them have, then we first have to show them and teach them to fear the Lord. Now, that's not merely talking about cowering in the corner, afraid that God's going to destroy you. There are a lot of people who struggle with that understanding. There needs to be a little bit of that. You need to understand that you stand before the almighty creator of heaven and earth and that at any moment he could destroy you, but he has chosen not to. But we still must respect that great power that God has. But that's a little bit more about what we're talking about. That respect and that honor of God because he could destroy us. We deserve punishment. We deserve death, but he did not give it to us. And so he is a loving and a kind God. And we need to understand that more and more. And what does that mean for our life? How do we live our lives? How, do we, how shall do we then live? To quote a philosopher. Once we understand who God is. Now, the word that's translated here as knowledge, it also carries, if you look and do a little bit of a word study, it carries into it the idea of wisdom as well. Applying that knowledge. So when you have a, a proper fear and respect for God, then you can't help but put him first. Now, I said something that's pretty, pretty intense right there if we listen to it. I'm going to read it again. When you have a proper fear and respect for God, then you can't help but put him first. Let's dissect that for just one quick second. If you're struggling with putting God first in your life, what then should we begin to understand? Then we probably don't have what? A proper fear and respect for God. So the challenge for me and the challenge for you, for all of us, those watching at home, the challenge for us is to make sure that we have a proper fear and respect for who God is if we're struggling with putting him first in everything, and that's what he calls for, people. He calls for us to put him first in every area of our life. If we're struggling with that, then we need to see if we don't understand exactly who God is. Who are you talking to? You know, how many, I don't know if parents are allowed to say that kind of thing anymore, but when I was growing up, if I said something out of line, that head came around and the breeze blew my hair back from my mama's head turning around, and she's like, who do you think you're talking to? And I remembered Sybil Wallace real quick. We need to understand that we have to put our perspective in the right order. We need to put our priorities in the right order and put our perspective and our focus on God. If we want our children to grow in wisdom, we have to teach them to fear God or Better yet, as I said, respect him and his power and who he is and the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die for them. 
so they could spend eternity in heaven. That is worth changing your life for. And we need to teach our children that. And every day we've got to show them that God is first in our lives. How many of you remember in school when maybe uh, when you were a kid? I don't know if they do this anymore either. I mean, we haven't done any normal type school really in about a year. But I used to love show and tell. Does anybody remember show and tell? You brought in something from home and you showed everybody. and You told them a little bit about it. Man, that was one of the coolest things. I love doing that when we did that. But that's what we need to do is every day play a game of show and tell with our family. Is we need to not only tell our children that we love God, we need to show them. We need to show them that we love Him. Because it's one thing to tell them, but if we don't show them, they're going to realize something's not adding up here. One plus one does not equal two in this case. And something needs to change because if you want your child to grow up to love God and put Him first, if you tell him or her, it might work. But there's a whole lot greater odds if you show and tell them that God is first. If you show them that God is first in your life, there's a greater opportunity that they too will put God first in their life. If we want our children to have a God-first kingdom life, we've got to understand the truth that more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. They catch more from what they see and they go alongside you and live that life with you than just simply telling them. You need to tell them the truth. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Absolutely, amen. But they also need to see it. It's not enough to just talk about it. We have to be about it. As parents, we need to be about putting God first, a God first kingdom life. And if your goal, as I said, is to have your children love God with everything that they have and to live a God-focused, gospel-centered lives, guess what? You better do it too. I better do it too. And that, my friends, is a great responsibility. But the reward is so worth it. Because there is nothing greater than seeing your children grow up and serve the Lord. And when they mess up, to come back and humbly repent and, and give everything back to God when they've taken it away. Just like we do. We struggle, we stumble, we fall, but we try to get back up and we've got to show them that. If someone never heard you speak and they only watched your life. Would they have the impression that you're a Christian or not? They never heard anything you said. If you didn't say, oh, I love Jesus. I go to church. I go to movement church. If they can never hear any of that, and they just simply watched your life, your decisions, your priorities, how you spent your money, how you spent your time, the way you responded to people when, when tensions got tough, would they think that person's a Christian or not? And that's the question we've got to answer. You see, the, kid, the keys to wisdom-filled kids are Scripture-fed, prayer-powered, faith-sharing disciples. If you want your children, or if you want children that you have an influence over, because like I said, we're not just focusing in on those that are getting ready to raise children or in the process of raising children. This is for all of us as, as part of the family of God. If you want children to be wisdom-filled kids and they have to be Scripture-fed, prayer-powered, faith-sharing disciples. We must spend time in God's Word every single day. 
When I was less mature as a Christian, I thought I could get away with every couple of days or I could get away with every once a week or something like that. But if I want to grow, if you want to grow, if you want to be faithful to the Lord, you need to spend time in God's Word being fed every single day. And we talked about this recently. We, we know this. It makes perfect sense, but ain't none of us going to skip eating for a week. I mean, you might say I'm fasting, but most of us just eat real fast. You know, we are not going to skip, we are not going to skip our meals every day for an extended amount of time unless we're fasting. Let's not skip our spiritual food because it, it feeds us and it grows us and they need to see that in us and they need to be taught to do that as well as children. They need to be prayer powered and this is something I, I you know, I talked about last week with Sherry and I is we need to pray more together as a couple. And that's something that I, we need to make sure that we're instilling this in our children. We get busy. All of us get busy in life. But we need to spend time praying with and for our children. They need to see us praying as, as parents, as a mom or a dad or as a couple. They need to see us, see us praying as faithful Christians in their church family. And they need to understand that prayer is a relationship, but it's also a battle is that we need to have this ongoing conversation with God every single day, but it's also a weapon for war against the enemy. And man, I, man, I felt burdened this week because I, I heard about so many people that were hurting and that were going under attack. And so I spent a lot of time praying this week. And I felt the burden of the enemy breathing down my neck, but our God is faithful, y'all. And when we lift it up to Him, He is able we may feel like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by God and our enemies are surrounded by God. He is able and we need to use the weapon of prayer, but also the relationship of talking to a creator who longs to hear everything that's on our heart. But also they need to be faith sharing disciples. Simply because as Christians, we're called to share faith. But you know what prepares you? to share your faith more is studying God's word. And you know what happens when you share your faith, you're challenged to do what? Study God's word more. And so that's going to make it more real to you and to them as you share your faith, as you have to give answers to people for the hope that you have. That's going to drive you back to the scripture and it's going to feed you more and more and you're going to get stronger and you're going to be able to do more for God's kingdom to show the light of Jesus to people who need to see it. And so they become faith-sharing disciples when they do that with you. And it has to be a family affair, so to speak. It has to be something that you do as a, as a family in the home, but it also has to be something we do as a church family together, or it's going to be most likely a failure. And that leads us to that third area of growth, the second one that we really spend a lot of time talking about, and that's spiritually growing. Mentally growing and spiritually growing children is what we go, our goal is for. It's described in Luke 2.52 as favor with God and men, mankind, if you will, men and women. So the question is, how do we relate to God? How do we relate to God? Do we simply only fear God like we talked about earlier and we feel like that he's waiting to destroy us and that we can't come near? But the scripture spends so much time in the New Testament saying that we can approach God with confidence. That we can come near and draw near to God and He will draw near to us. God longs to be close to us. 
And then some of us, we wrap our minds around that and we love that. And we put it around us like a warm blanket and we read Christian books and we listen to Christian music and we're so thankful for our Christian friends. But we forget that we're called to also have good relationships with other people. And sometimes we don't even love church people. And we definitely don't love them heathens, you know. But we have to be reminded like Paul and many other New Testament writers is that we once were like those people. And we still have a tendency to pick up that old way of life and put it back on and try to go back to it. So let's not forget that we also, besides having a relationship with God, that needs to reflect off of us and have a relationship with other people so that they can get closer to God. If you want to have a spiritual life that's strong and healthy and vibrant, it cannot exclude spending time with other people. You need your church family and you need to reach out to people who need Jesus as well. So the word favor that we see there in this translation, I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, is the word, the Greek word charis, which is often translated grace. So when you read it that way, that we need to have grace between God and man and grace between us and other people, that brings a whole other light onto it. And when we understand this, we understand, at least in theory, the idea of having grace from God to us, but how often do we show and share grace with other people? Like the parable that we've talked about a few times over the past few weeks, we're forgiven of much, but then when people hurt us, we tend to not want to what? Forgive them and show them grace. But we're called to do that. And often, if we feel like we teach our children the Bible, as we mentioned earlier, we feel like they're, they're spiritually growing. You know, if you just give them the Bible, then they'll be good. But is that the truth in your life? If you only read Scripture, you can have a head full of Scripture and a heart full of hate, can't you? You can have a head full of Scripture and a heart full of hate. You must read God's Word. You must be fed on the Word of God. But you have to do all you can to then put it into practice to work on your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Let's continue to be honest. <laughs> you can be full of Bible knowledge but also be spiritually dead or dying, can't you? You can know all the right answers but be just as far from God as anything. So the real question is, is what do we do to help our children grow spiritually? What do we do to help the kids that we have influence over to grow spiritually and deeper in their strength and their relationship with God? I believe it is, requires digging down into that wisdom part that we talked about earlier. You've got to dig down into that wisdom part. So we teach our kids to fear God and to put Him first in everything, and that begins that process. Dig down into God's Word, put God first in everything. And here's the thing. It's been said many times that if you approached let's say a, a first century Jew, someone who was walking around at the time of Jesus or even farther back into Jewish history, if you approached a good Jewish person while the law was the only thing they had and you said a question like, we would often say if we're part of a church, we might walk up to somebody and say, how's your spiritual life going? They said if you would do that to a first century or earlier Jew, if you said, hey, how's your spiritual life going? They would have been like, what? We, we say that phrase a lot within the church world, don't we? How's your spiritual life going? You know, how is your area of your life regarding your faith going? 
But if you'd said that to that first century Jew, they would have been like, what are you talking about? Because there was not an idea or a concept in Hebrew where you split up your life into little segments. Everything is supposed to be spiritual. And so life is life, and our spiritual relationship with God is just simply encompassing all of that together. And so we have to understand this powerful truth. They might look at you like you're crazy, and we need to start looking at each other like we're crazy when we say that kind of thing. You can tell people, not in a rude way, but it's like, I don't have a spiritual life. I have a life, and all of it belongs to Jesus. You know, not in a condescending way, but when we can do that with our brothers and sisters, we'll remind them, it's like, everything I have, everything I am belongs to God. And that's what we need to make our minds conform to. Those early Jews would have rightly realized that everything is spiritual. We don't have a work life, a school life, a family life, a private life, and a spiritual life. We simply have a life. And the key to leading our children and those that we have influence over to grow spiritually is, guess what? You probably guessed it already. Having that kind of depth in our life. Showing them the way that we grow and stumble and fall and get back up and cling to Jesus and share our faith and read the scripture and to pray sincerely and deeply. We show them over and over and over. You walk through life with them as you do it and you show them and you give them opportunities. You lead them by the hand and walk through your life and tear down every single wall that you have dividing up your life. Because in the spiritual house that we build sometimes, we keep one little closet or we keep our little junk drawer, right? Where we say, okay, God, everything else is yours. But this behind this door, that's just my space. I'm not quite ready to give it up for you yet. But we need to lead our children through our lives, tearing down every wall, saying, it's not, I'm God's at work, I'm God's at home, I'm God's at the store, I'm God's everywhere. I belong to Him, and every part of my life belongs to Him. And as you've heard me alluding to this morning, parenting isn't simply biological, is it? Of course, I think for most of us, our mind automatically goes to adoption, which is a beautiful thing. But I believe also, and our family's been a part of this too, you can do unofficial adoptions when you just bring people into your family. And they may have a, a great family, but you just add a little something extra. And you pour into their lives. And, and so it's not simply biological. And if you carry out that thought, and we all know this to be true, just because you have children doesn't mean that you're a parent. Unfortunately, that is far too common. Just because you biologically contributed to a child being born doesn't mean that you're a parent. Doesn't mean that you're a father or a mother. And so we have to understand that parenting is so much more than simply biology. So you make time to pour into the lives of, of young people who you can be a blessing to and show them the example of Christ. And so as I, as I started off saying earlier on, I chose the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air for a real reason. Not simply because it was a family dynamic and that's what I wanted to do. Some of the shows that we talked about have been simply that. It was about a married couple. It was about a college students who were single, that type of thing. But I chose the Fresh Prince. Whew. <laughs> 
because it was a beautiful picture of two people who already had a busy full life and they accepted man that's crazy why am I so daggone <laughs> they accepted this young man into their life and gave him everything he was lacking I know it wasn't a spiritual show or anything like that. Now, it's not perfect. I'm not expecting the TV show to be perfect. But they gave him everything in this show. In this story, they gave him everything he needed to feel complete and whole. And even though it was always funny between him and Uncle Phil, they were arguing, making fun of each other. They loved one another. And this, this couple accepted him in. And that's really what parenting... And anybody who watched that show would no doubt say that Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv were his parents, right? And if you watch this show, man, I so, I so badly wanted to show this clip today, but there's just a, 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 enough language I couldn't do it. But one of the most powerful, and this is why I keep getting, this is why I keep getting in, uh, choked up, because all I'm thinking about is this episode. Will's father comes back into the picture after he's been absent. He comes in and, and Will's all excited and he's thinking, man, I'm going to finally have this relationship with my dad. And then true to form, his dad bails on him one more time. And as the episode comes to a, a climax, his dad says, all right, I, I got to leave, Will. I'm sorry, man. And he's like, okay. And Will's trying to act tough. He's trying to be strong. And his dad leaves and then there's Uncle Phil left to clean up the damage. And, and Will sort of just sort of goes on a rant and tries to act tough like any of us would. And he's like, I don't need him. You know, I don't need anything from him. And he's just, you know, raising his voice. And, you know, he's going on and he starts talking about, he says, man, you know, he says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all I can. I'm going to do all I can to be a better father. I'm going to do all I can to, to do all that I can to be a better person. But I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Because that show taught us and God's word teaches us that parenting is purposeful presence. Parenting is purposeful presence. And if you're going to be a good father, if you're going to be a good mother, if you're going to be a good Christian brother or sister who pours into the life of a young person, then you have to pre be present, but you have to do it in a powerful way where the power of God works through you and in you and into their life. And in Eli, or excuse me, the story of Eli in 1 Samuel there's a man that we see who has a hand in raising Samuel the prophet. And it seems like he did a really good job. It seems like he was doing really good things. He was a good man, it seems like. But his sons were wicked and evil, it says. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked men, and God ended up killing these men. And it says at some point in their lives later on that Eli rebuked them. He told them to straighten up, but it was too late. And there may be more that we don't know. I know it's just a small segment of his life, and we don't want to be necessarily judging, but we want to learn from what happened there. And I would say that if I've looked at my life and I've looked at other people's lives, and I would say that there's a strong chance that maybe Eli wasn't as corrective as he should have been when his boys were younger. And I know you can try to do everything right, and your kids can still completely reject it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything about that, but you, I'm talking about... Not talking about exceptions, I'm talking about what we see as the rule normally. But if he'd have stood up and he'd have corrected them and straightened them up when he saw them going off the path, who knows, they might not have turned the way they did. Maybe he wasn't consistent. 
Maybe he turned them blind eye to their sins in their childhood. And it seems like Eli was a faithful man serving God, but perhaps he forgot to bring his boys alongside of him and do that too with them. Maybe, just maybe, he gave them the head knowledge of Scripture without working on their hearts. I don't know. But I will tell you this. As long as you have breath in your lungs and you have an opportunity, all you can do is try to point your kids in the right direction and be powerfully present with them in the here and now. You can't, you can't fix what you did in the past, but you can just continue to try to be powerfully present right now in the present. So let me ask you these few questions real quick. Do your kids see you repent? Do they see you repent? Because they see you mess up. <laughs> They do. But do you keep the repentance part private? Or do you not do it at all? Do you show them repentance? Because they need to see that, yes, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to stumble and fall. But this is what a Christian does. This is what somebody who surrendered to Jesus does. They get back up, they admit it, and then they change their actions and they surrender to God. Do your kids serve others with you? Do they serve others with you? Not simply, oh, you need to do this. Or do they see you do it, but do they do it with you? When they have the ability, when they have the right maturity and age level, do they serve others with you? Can you serve other people in small, simple ways? Anything that you do to serve somebody else, your child can learn to do it alongside of you as they grow up. Do your kids see you teach and share your faith? Do your children see you teach and share your faith? You know, if you may be young as a Christian, you might not feel like you know a lot, but you can tell people Jesus loves you. Do they see you do that? Do they see you dig into God's word and share it with other people? Do your kids see your priorities rather than just hear about them? As we've said many times, I want to hammer it in my head and I want to hammer it in all of our heads. Do they only hear you talk about Jesus or do they see your priorities in order of how you worship God? Do they see that Jesus is Lord of your life or do they only hear it? Do they see that your priority is connecting other people to the almighty creator God of the universe? Let's go back to that scene from the Fresh Prince for a second. When his dad pops in his life, but unfortunately he abandons, again, abandons him again. There's this heartbreaking scene that I was starting to tell you about a little bit. Will is shouting about how he doesn't need his father. He says, I'm going to finish college without him. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a whole bunch of kids. And then he yells, there's nothing that he can teach me about how to love my kids. And then he pauses and turns and he says, how come he don't want me, man? And it breaks my heart. I cannot watch it without doing this blubbering mess <laughs> because there are so many children and there's so many parents walking around believing that nobody cares about them that nobody loves them and they're screaming out whether it be inside their head or outside their head by the choices they make in their life but they're screaming out why don't he want me man it's up to us to show 
everybody that we can the love of Jesus and that can start with the children that we are tasked with raising but also the children that we can influence in our church family in our communities man is it not evidence that people don't feel loved by looking at the news our world is broken and hurting people hate each other because of the color of their skin and because they believe a different political idea than somebody else. This world needs Jesus. And it starts with our responsibility to pour into the lives of children. To show them that God can cover over every heartache and every heartbreak that we have. Uncle Phil as he shouts at it and runs back to him, he just grabs him and squeezes him. And there's no doubt in the story of this show that he is his father. Our kids and kids we invest in need to see that we love them. They need to see it. They need to hear it. But most importantly, they need to see and they need to hear that there's a God who loves them so much that He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross, to be buried in a tomb, and then be raised from the grave so that they could live forever in heaven with Him. They need to see that. They need to hear that. And that He's calling them to share this news with the entire world. So do you have the presence of a powerful God in your life today? Because the truth is, is that you can't give somebody what you don't have. And maybe you've been trying to do right and you've been going through the motions and you've been thinking, oh man, I'm going to get it right one day. But maybe it's because you're missing the presence of God and therefore you don't have that power and your life is in a shambles and you haven't been able to pour into the lives of other people. Today that can change if you just say, I'm done fighting. I'm done trying to do it on my own. I want to be God's. I want the Father who is perfect to be my Father. I want the Savior who died for me to be my Savior and my Lord. And you can come today and you can be clean and you can be made whole. And you can start a new life in Christ when you're buried in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. And then you can go out and you can pour into the lives of children and your neighbors and everyone around so they can know that there's a Father who loves them. But it has to start with you today. If you've got something on your heart, don't keep it in. Let's do all we can to show this world that God loves them too. Let's stand and sing together.